Welcome to What Christians Should Know, hosted by Dr. Elijah Sadoffel. This podcast equips you with clarity and meaningful answers about God, the Bible, and your Christian life. Now, here's Dr. Sadoffel. All right, good morning, Sunday school class. Good morning. I'll give everyone 10 seconds. Turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 1, and then we're going to pray. Three, two. <laughs> Let's pray. Precious Lord, we thank you for the fullness and the gift of life, for arousing us to life this morning and for bringing us all here together to sit under and to meditate on your word. Divine Spirit, we know that you and you alone are the only true spiritual teacher of your word, so we all yield before you today and entreat you to illuminate our minds, to open the windows of understanding in our hearts, that we may know, live, and appropriate your divine, inerrant truth. Lord Jesus, we rely and lean upon your help, knowing that without you, understanding will never come. Bless us, precious Lord, with your presence. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So before I dive in this morning, I was reflecting on what we've been talking about in the past month. And I realize that we've now been in the Book of Romans now for just over a month, and we haven't left verse 1. At this pace, Jesus may come back before we're done. And if he does come back, that'll be a good thing. However, I say, I say all that to make the point that the first couple of verses, the pace is going to be very, very slow and methodical as we define terms and make sure we're clear on foundational principles. But once in essence, we make it halfway through the first chapter, the pace is going to pick up. So, to now continue where we left off last week, we talked about what an apostle was, a messenger, someone who sent by Christ himself, and in essence, there were three requirements for being an apostle. Number one, being divinely called by Jesus himself. Number two, having a particular training and experience, meaning sitting under the teaching of Jesus during his earthly ministry, and then being a direct eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. And then number three, being imbued with apostolic authority by Christ himself, which was validated by external signs, as in miracles and wonders that people observed. So that's what an apostle was. So the apostles were given authority and the ability to perform signs, and as with any other sign in the Bible, the authority they were given was to lay down foundational doctrine upon which the church would be built. Here's the way to conceptualize this. We now live in the 21st century. We not only have the entire canon of Scripture, all of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament, we also have the gift, we also have the benefit of 
Holy Spirit-graced, brilliant minds for the past 2,000 years who have studied, who have meditated on, and who have explained Scripture for us. So living right here, right now, is a blessing because the church 2,000 years ago didn't have that. But even more, if the year was 40 and you were living in Turkey, you were living in Rome, you were living in wherever, guess what you didn't have? You didn't have the New Testament, which is why God sent out the apostles. So instead of having the, uh, the book of Corinthians or the book of Romans or the book of Acts you could look at, you actually had flesh and bones, living, breathing apostles who spoke and taught with apostolic authority given by Jesus himself. So when Paul, to make, a, make everything plain, when Paul went to another city, they didn't have a book they could refer to. They couldn't turn to the book of the Ephesians, tell them about how the church was supposed to run. So what the apostle Paul would now do as Christ's agent, as Christ's apostle, he would not only explain the doctrines to them, he would also answer questions and fix all the misconceptions about doctrine that the church had. So the early church did not have the completed New Testament, so what God provided as a substitute was the apostles themselves. Now when I say that the apostles were imbued with apostolic authority, that does not mean when the Apostle Paul was sitting at dinner and he said, pass the salt. That now does not have divine authority, right? That's not going to be in the New Testament. It means the authority they were given particularly and specifically applied to the doctrines that they taught. And because the Holy Spirit used them as the instruments to produce his word in the New Testament, those specific doctrinal principles that were meant to be recorded for the church from then until the end of time ended up being the pages of the New Testament. So just as Jesus spoke with authority when he was alive, he would say, he didn't say, this rabbi said, or this is what this says. He says, I say unto you, he spoke on behalf of his own authority. Jesus then sends his apostles out to preach and teach who are invested with authority that he gave them. And in a sense, the New Testament apostles are similar to the Old Testament prophets, in that the Old Testament prophets were people called by God who spoke on behalf of God to God's people. But the prophets were never sent. The prophets essentially stayed either in northern Israel or southern Judea. The apostles now were different in that they are sent. Their message was not to the geographic location of Israel. It was, in essence, to the entire world. Apostolic preaching and teaching, having divine authority, is a crucial point to remember and embrace. And this helps to explain why, after the Gospel and Acts, every New Testament book was written by an apostle. Last thing to mention about apostolic authority is that they laid the foundation of the church in that they were the ones who originally called and raised up the original elders of the original churches. 
So you have the specific uh, agents that Christ sends. They, in essence, figuratively speaking, are the one that plant the seed and water the original foundation upon which these churches would grow, setting them in the right direction. Now uh, men are trained and raised up who can now replicate themselves throughout the life of the church. So, the question was intelligently asked last time. We have our three now requirements for being an apostle. Divine calling, training and experience, apostolic authority validated by signs and wonders. But we have a problem now. And the problem is, it would seem as if the apostle Paul does not fit into that paradigm. So someone explain to me what I'm saying. When I say the, it seems as if the Apostle Paul does not fit into the three requirements, how does the Apostle Paul not fit into them? Well, he wasn't one of the original 12 Jesus. Right. The Apostle Paul was not one of the original 12. He did not sit under the teaching of Christ while he was alive, and he wasn't a direct eyewitness to the resurrected Christ when he uh, bodily rose from the dead on the third day. So now we have a problem. Because the Apostle Paul in Romans says he was called as an apostle. But according to our requirements, it seems as if there's a problem here. So let's dive deeper. The first requirement is someone has to be called by God. And Paul was called by God in Acts 9 to 16. This is what uh, Jesus says to Ananias, speaking about Paul. Go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Before Agrippa, this is what Paul says about himself in Acts 26, verses 5 to 18. And he's recounting now what Jesus said to him on the road to Damascus. Acts 26, 15 to 18. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me." So was Paul called by God himself? Yes. So that takes care of requirement number one. Now we'll go to the third requirement, being given apostolic authority, being validated by signs and wonders. What does the book of Acts tell us? That the apostle Paul went to diverse people and places and was doing what? Signs and wonders, which validates the fact that he was given apostolic authority. So requirement number one, check. Requirement number three, check. Requirement number two, question mark? Now, good, not necessarily. So requirement number two, 
was that someone had to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But when we actually think about it, the Apostle Paul was a disciple of Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that? When Jesus came on the scene, essentially what he did is he taught all of his disciples the scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. And he taught the scriptures to regular everyday people, tax collectors, fishermen, zealots. These were guys who had no formal religious training. So using figurative language, Jesus bought the land, laid the foundation, built the house, put the furniture in the house, and then turned the lights on and said, hey guys, the scriptures are about me. But who was the Apostle Paul? He was a Pharisee, meaning he knew the scriptures. He was well-versed in the Old Testament, I dare say, better than anyone on the planet out that time. The land had already been bought. The house was already there. The house was fully furnished. But then when Jesus finds him on the road to Damascus, what he does is he flips a switch. Lights come on. And now, I would clap too, yes. And now, the, the man called Saul, his eyes are opened, and all of that wisdom, Bible knowledge, and insight is now turned and directed towards serving the kingdom of God. So, was the Apostle Paul a disciple of Christ? Technically, yes, because he was a well-instructed student of the scriptures. And, as I said in prayer meeting on Tuesday night, at the end of the day, what determines an apostle? Is it three requirements that we develop here in Sunday school? No. The ultimate thing that matters the most is being called by Jesus Christ himself. I don't know about you, but if Jesus says Paul is an apostle, I'm not debating that. Hence, the apostle Paul is an apostle. You had a question? Yes. Well, comment mostly. Um, yeah, well, doesn't he also, wait a minute, doesn't he also say somewhere else in his letters that he consulted with no man when he was called, but he went apart for a period of time into the deserts of Arabia, and then he was instructed directly by the Lord himself? Right. And that instruction originally came being met on the road to Damascus. He didn't exactly go straight from that calling in and around Judea. He actually spent about three years in Arabia before he returned to the Holy Land. What he did in those three, excuse me, in those three years, we don't know because the book of Acts doesn't tell us what exactly transpired in that place. But your point is valid in that the Apostle Paul was an apostle distinguished from the rest in that his specific apostolic calling was to the Gentiles, meaning of all the other apostles, he and he alone was the one who essentially was to preach and teach the word to the Gentile world, which is why in the book of Acts, the one going on three missionary journeys is the Apostle Paul. But to even add more historical validation on his, on his calling, the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts ends up going to the original apostles, explaining to them 
what had happened, and they essentially offer the right hand of fellowship to a man they now recognized was one of their own. Okay. You also um, made sure, if I remember correctly, I don't have the exact verses, that uh, he spoke with them on the level of the revelation he was given to make sure he wasn't running in vain. In other words, that he himself wasn't in error. Right. And the, the apostles could confirm what had happened, not only knowing who he was, because now you have the guy called Saul saying, I love Jesus, which was, could only be explained by divine calling. He ended up subsequently doing signs and wonders validating what the message, and the important thing was the message that Jesus Christ is Lord is the, uh, the truth which validated, validated him as one of their own. You guys, I love the questions because you're actually asking questions that I prepared beforehand to tell you about. So, okay, this is, this is fantastic. So I'm gonna get to your point in, in about two minutes. The only reason why I'm re-emphasizing and doubling down on the Apostle Paul being an apostle is this. There are many skeptics in the world who try to poke holes in the Bible, right? They say that Jesus founded his own religion, and then the Apostle Paul, or, or rather, Jesus said one thing, and then the Apostle Paul comes and does something radically and totally different. But when we zoom out and look at what God was doing from the very beginning, it's all the same linear thread of truth, and the Apostle Paul, being ordained and commissioned by Christ was not preaching or teaching a deviant message. Every writer in the Bible is saying the same exact thing. And everyone points to Christ. So if you ever hear someone say something like, you know, I like what Jesus said, but don't like what Paul said, they're in essence not allowing the text to speak for themselves because everything in the Bible says the same precise thing, that Jesus Christ is Lord and he and he alone is the Savior. Question? So our senior pastor hit the nail on the head and drove it down. Because here's why understanding what a real biblical apostle is is so critically important. Remember, I said that the original apostles were imbued with Christ's own authority, meaning the, the things that they taught were not their own words, were the words of God. 
As Ephesians 2 tells us, the church is built on what? Christ, who is the cornerstone, and the prophets and apostles, who are the foundation. When you build a building, you lay the foundation once, which means after the original apostles died, they stay dead forever. There is no apostolic uh, chain down history. No one, anyone who honestly reads the Bible and lets the word of God speaks for itself, no one ever has the right to call themselves an apostle today. Either someone doesn't understand what the term means and they're calling themselves that out of ignorance or which is even, even more diabolical, they do know precisely and exactly what the term means and think they can now speak with apostolic authority. Now here's why this is dangerous. The Roman Catholic Church is based upon the principle of apostolic succession, meaning, this is a false doctrine, they say Peter was the first pope he now imbues apostolic authority to the second pope, to the third pope, to the fourth pope, to the fifth pope. What's the implication? This is why it's dangerous. The implication now is that the pope can speak with apostolic authority and that word is on par with the Bible, which is heresy. What the pope says is what a man says. It is not the Word of God. The only Word of God is in this book. If it's not in this book, it's not the Word of God. Period. So that basically means that every single pope in history is a, uh, a false prophet? Roman Catholicism is not biblical Christianity. Okay, that was a, a weighty statement. Roman Catholicism is Christ and. It's Christ plus something, right? It's what Christ did on the cross plus our works now. It's the Bible, the Word of God, plus whatever the Pope says. There is no Christ and. There's, it's just Christ. So the even word Pope comes from the word Papa. The Pope is not our Papa. We have one Lord, one Savior, his name is Jesus Christ, and there's no substitute for that. So, I say all that to say, bring it now all down home. Now we know what the true biblical definition of an apostle is. We know once the original apostles died, there were none left. And what the apostles left us with is the inerrant, infallible word of God. So we may not have Paul right here, we may not have Peter, we may not have John, what we now have is something better, the word in a book which anyone, anywhere, anytime can now read and discern what God actually wants to tell us. Okay, so we talked about Roman Catholicism, there are no more apostles, there's no more apostolic succession, and again, the danger in believing that there are modern day apostles is that what God has already said is not sufficient. 
That's the danger, that God in some way, shape, or form in his revealed word needs an update or an add-on, but Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is finished, total, and complete. Okay, so Romans 1.1 says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Set up, some Bibles say set apart, other Bibles say separated. It doesn't matter what word you choose, the idea communicated is the same. The idea that's being communicated is that Paul was separated or set apart by God himself. There was no self-separation. A group or philosophy did not choose the man called Saul. He was set apart by God himself. And we know he was set apart by God himself because he's a doulos, a slave of Christ, and he was called to be an apostle. Now here's what's ironic about Paul writing, he was separated by God himself. As we all know, Paul used to be a Pharisee. Who knows what that word means when you break it down in the original language? Pharisee means a separated one. But how did the Pharisees become separated? They separated themselves. Let's take a step back. Who knows how Phariseeism started? Because this idea is important, because if there's any group in the Bible that Jesus continually rebukes, it's the Pharisees. So let's understand, let's increase our Bible knowledge. How did Phariseeism begin? So you're very close. In a very quick nutshell, the foundation for Phariseeism began after the uh, exiles returned back home to the Promised Land because you had a people who were abandoned from their priesthood, they were abandoned from their temple, and they basically were, were in an unclean land of pagan idolaters. So when they now come back, they basically make a vow to themselves and say, we're not going to allow the pollution or the tainting from the outside world to affect us. So when Ezra comes back, for example, he's a scribe, meaning he's a student of the law and memorized scriptures from cover to cover. Fast forward now, when the exiles return or in the promised land, you have successive foreign nations conquering them. And there was an idea when the Greeks conquered the promised land of Hellenization, meaning they wanted to Greekify the world. And now you have Jews who want to be faithful to the word of God who don't want to be Hellenized. So what do they do? They separate themselves. They detach themselves from what they view as pollution from the pervasive culture of the time to purify and keep themselves righteous. So on the surface, 
It doesn't exactly sound like a necessarily immoral or bad idea, but here now is the catch. The, the original philosophy got polluted by a man-centered separation, meaning when man or when I separate myself, what I now say is, look what I can do. What I now say is, look what I have done. And now as a result, following rules or following legalism doesn't give you a greater sense of the awesome majesty and holiness of God. It, it engenders and produces pride. Because the more works I do, or the more rules I follow, or the more I separate myself from common everyday things, the more puffed up and the more puffed up I am. So, it, I mean, I oversimplified a lot of things, but in a nutshell, that's how Phariseeism began. It was initiated by a self-man-centered separation. Now, I'm going to close today because we're going to talk about the gospel next, which is a full 30 minutes. But what, what I will say is this. Separation in the Bible is always negative and positive. You don't need an open Bible to separate yourself from anything, right? If you wanted to be a hermit and go live in the desert, you can separate yourself from the world at large. That's a negative separation. But when God sets someone apart for himself, it's a negative and a positive separation. He takes you out of something but he doesn't leave you alone, he then draws you to himself. The Phariseeism now is only negative, but when God takes the man called Saul and calls him to himself, sets him apart to him, now he's in Christ Jesus. Okay, I'll stop there. Are there any questions? Yes. Right, so... What you're talking about comes from the book of Ephesians, where essentially God is telling us the different offices in the church. And in God, the church is something that um, began in the apostolic era and would go on to the end of time. What Paul was writing there is he was essentially telling the church at large, not only then 2,000 years ago, but now in the 21st century, there are different individuals with different offices. But that apostolic office would have a, a, an expiration date in that once all the original apostles passed away, there would be no more apostles. Because when we take that verse from Ephesians and then contextualize with what Ephesians chapter 2 says in that the prophets and the apostles lay the foundation, there again we have the idea you only lay the foundation once. So that verse from Ephesians 5, when we contextualize it in the entire book of Ephesians and the entire Bible, that office in that list of offices was never designed to move beyond when the original apostles died. But we still have teachers, etc., etc., who go by the apostolic word in God's word. Make sense? Okay, let's pray. Precious Lord, thank you for the gift of your word, and we thank you, O Lord, for giving us a legacy and history of 2,000 years worth of earnest study and meditation on your scripture. 
So things which were not clear back then are crystal clear now. We entreat you to continually open our eyes and to plant your truth in our hearts that we may know and understand your word, not for the sake of separating ourselves to be better than other people, but rather, Lord Jesus, that your word will lead us and guide us towards you, being separated unto our precious Lord. We thank you, Divine Spirit, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more valuable resources, including a bookstore and online Bible study, visit wcsk.org.